Chapter Sixteen of Non-Combatants and Others by Rose Macaulay. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Anthony Ogus. On Peace. On the tenth of December, Daphne, Alex, and Nicholas went down to Cambridge. Liverpool Street, Alex found restful. Liverpool Street, as the jumping-off place for East Anglia, has a soothing power of its own. Stations often have, probably because they indicate ways of escape, never the closed door. But Cambridge, which they reached all too soon, was not restful. Cambridge City, even out of term time, even during terms such as these, which all the young thinkers are keeping in trenches overseas, is too conscious of the world's complexities and imminent problems and questionable destinies to be peaceful. Cambridge is the brain of Cambridgeshire, which, having all its more disturbing thinking thus done for it, can itself remain quiet, like a brainless animal. Daphne's sphere of work did not include Cambridge, which already thought about these things, and heard, gladly and otherwise, Mr. Ponsonby on democratic control, and Lord Bryce on international relations, and many other people on many other subjects. All she did in Cambridge was to foster and stimulate the life of the already existing branch of the SPPP and to make it her centre for propaganda in Cambridgeshire. Nicholas and Alex, having been brought up in Cambridge, did not know Cambridgeshire much. Alex discovered Cambridgeshire through this quiet, pale December. There are moments in some lives when it is the only shire that will do. Many feel the same about Oxfordshire, more about Shropshire, Sussex, Worcestershire, Hampshire, or the North, or the South West. The present writer once knew someone who felt it about Warwickshire, but these probably are few. Most people may like Warwickshire, to live in, or walk in, or bicycle in, but will give it no peculiar place as healer or restorer. It is perhaps essentially a shire for the prosperous, the whole in body and mind. It has little to give beyond what it receives. But Cambridgeshire, of all England the shire for men who understand, in its quiet, restrained way, gives. It is not for the rich, and not for sentimentalists, and not for Americans, but it is for poets and dreamers. To those who leave it and return, it has a fresh and sad significance, like the face of a once familiar and understood, but half-forgotten friend, whose point of view has become strange. New meanings, old meanings reasserted, rise to challenge them. The code of values inherent in those chalky plains that are the setting of a quiet city seem to emerge in large type. Cambridge is of a quite different spirit, in Cambridge is intelligence, culture, traditionalism, civilization, some intellectualism, even some imagination, much scholarship, ability and good sense, above all a high idealism, a limitless fund of generous chivalry that will be at war with the world's ills, the true crusading spirit that can never fit in with the commercial. And round it, strangely, lies Cambridgeshire, quiet, chalky, unknown, full of the equable Anglian peoples and limitless romance, 
the country of waste fens and flat wet fields and dreamy hints of quiet streams and grey willows and level horizons melting into blue distance beyond blue distance and straight white roads linking ancient village to ancient village and untold dreams and probably not one cambridge person in two hundred understands anything at all about it they are too civilised too urban too far above the animal and the peasant. Here and there some Cambridge poet or painter or even archaeologist has caught the spirit of Cambridgeshire, but mostly Cambridge people are too busy and too alive to try. You need to be of a certain vacancy. But though they understand so little of it, in times of need it sometimes raises quiet hands of healing to them. Sometimes again it doesn't. 2. Alex, wandering over it with Daphne, who held meetings, found it grey, toneless, faintly-hued, wintry, with larks carolling over the chalky downs and brown ploughed fields. That country south of Cambridge seemed to her the truest Cambridgeshire, rather than the level plains of Ely and the Fenlands, and rather than the border regions of the north-west, where Royston, among its huddle of strange hills, broods with its hint of a hostile wildness. Royston is rather terrifying, unless you use it for golf, and Daphne had a poor meeting there. Meetings in Cambridge are often poor, that is the truth, excepting only in election time, when apathy gives place to fierce excitement. Whether they are about national service, or votes for women, or tariff reform, or free trade, or Welsh disestablishment, or recruiting, or peace, you cannot really rely on them. Cambridgeshire, rightly believing that the day for toil was given, for rest of the night, does not lightly thwart this dispensation of providence. And the few borderland hours of twilight or lamplight which providence has set between these two spaces of time, are, there seems little doubt, given us for the purposes of tea, smoking, conversing and courting, so meetings do not really come in. But Daphne held them all the same, and some people came. She usually held them in the village schoolroom. Sometimes she got the vicar's permission to address the children during school hours, sometimes that of the vicar's wife to speak to the mother's meetings while it met but she preferred evening meetings because of her lantern slides which showed the photographs she had taken on her travels of men women and children in the other villages of other countries thinking so she said the same thoughts as these men women and children in cambridgeshire saying in their queer other tongues the same things playing very often with the same toys this of course was by way of promoting international sympathy the women and children liked these meetings and slides the women being open-hearted kindly impressionable pacific saw what daphne meant and said to think of it i expect those mothers poor things miss their boys that are fighting the same as we do ours well it isn't their fault is it it's all that wicked kaiser the children said merely Ooh, ah, look at that! Then Daphne would go on from that starting point to expound that it wasn't all, not quite all, that wicked Kaiser. 
that it was in fact in varying degrees not only all governments but all peoples who had made war possible and so landed themselves at last in this. This was less popular. The women didn't mind it. They were receptive and open to conviction and didn't much mind either way and were prepared to say, well, to be sure, we're none of us very good Christians yet, are we? For ideas didn't matter to them very much, nor the wrongs and rights of the war. But the fact of the war did. But some man behind, who had made up his mind on this business and knew that black was black and white was white, would sometimes observe with vigour and decision, pro-hun. "'I am not a pro-anyone,' said Daphne, "'nor an anti-anyone. "'But I am, in general way, pro-peace and anti-war, "'and I am sure we all are in this room.' "'Then those who believed themselves to differ would shout, "'Fight to finish! Crush all Germans! And smash the Hun! "'Then you may talk of peace!' "'And, here's some soldiers back here, you hear, "'what they've got to say about it?' "'And other things to the same purpose.' and once or twice they sang patriotic songs so loud that the meeting closed in disorder. But at other times they gave Daphne a chance to explain that she meant by peace, peace in general and in future, not a premature end to this particular war. That end, she remarked, must now be left to be decided by others. It was the future they were all concerned with. When once she got through to this point, the room usually began to listen again, and heard, with varying degrees of attention, interest and tolerance, how they could help to make a permanent peace, and even put up good-humouredly with hearing how they had helped for some centuries to make war, by encouraging commercialism, capitalism, selfishness, ignorance, and bad habits of thought. On the whole, and with exceptions, so far as Cambridgeshire listened to Daphne at all, it was receptive and not unkind. The villages, of course, varied, as villages will. In some, the squire and the vicar and the other chief people would not allow the meeting at all, rightly thinking it pacifist. In others, they allowed it and came, and sat in front and differed, asking Daphne if she had not heard the recommendation si vis parcem parabellum, and remarking that while we are in a war, it's not the time to talk of peace. "'You might as well say,' said Daphne, "'that while we are suffering from a plague "'is not the time to talk of measures to prevent its recurrence.' "'Villages, as has been said, differ. "'Some, for instance, are more intelligent than others. "'Great Shelford is rather intelligent and means well. "'Many of its inhabitants are leisured "'and will readily, if advised, form study circles "'and read recommended literature. "'In fact, they did.' Quite a promising little nucleus of the SPPP was established there. Sawston, two miles and a half away, is otherwise. So is Whittlesford. Of Linton, Pampersford, Landbeach, Waterbeach, the Chesterfords and Duxford, it were better, in this connection, not to speak. Frankly, they did not understand or approve the SPPP. They thought it pro-German. That silly word! said Daphne helplessly to Nicholas, after a rather exhausting evening at Sawston. Nicholas's own evening had been restful, for he had spent it at home reading Russian fairy stories. What does it mean? Do they mean anything by it? Do they know what they mean? Oh, they know all right, 
returned Nicholas, grinning. They mean you've exaggerated sympathies with the Hun. Have I? Daphne wondered. Well, I suppose one tries to have some sympathies with everyone, even with nations which prepare for and start wars and brutally destroy small adjacent nations in the process, but as little, almost as little, with these as it is possible to have. When will people understand that what we're out to do is not to sympathise or to apportion blame, but simply to learn together the science of reconstruction? No, of construction, rather, for we've got to make what's never yet been. People do so leave things to chance, mental and spiritual things. When it's a case of reconstructing material things, as we shall have to do in Belgium and France after the war, no one will be allowed to help without proper training. People are training for it already, taking regular courses in the various branches of constructive science. But we seem to think that the nations can build themselves up spiritually without any learning or preparing at all. Just because it's not towns and villages and trades and wealth and agriculture that will need building up, but only intelligence and beauty and sanity and mind and morals and manners. The building up has got to be done in the same industrious and practical spirit. You can't leave spiritual things to grow into the right shape for themselves any more than material ones. You've got to have your constructionists with their constructive programmes. You can't leave things to luck, sit down and say, trust in time, the great mender, or wait and see. Time isn't a member of anything. Time, unused, is like an aged idiot plodding along a road without signposts into nowhere. We can't each go about our individual businesses grabbing our share of the world without troubling ourselves to get a grasp of the whole and help to shove it along the right track. It's uneducated. It's like the modern Cretan, so different from his early ancestors, who saw life steadily and saw it whole. At least that's what one gathers from his remains. Daphne had just before the war been in Crete excavating. Nicholas said, You overrate the early Cretan. I've noticed it before. You overrate him. He wasn't all you think, and anyhow, he had a smaller island to think out. Anyone could have got a grasp of Cretan affairs. He was probably really as selfish as, as Alex or me. I can't imagine said Daphne, considering him with disapproval. Why, you don't join the SPPP, Nicky, or some other good educative society, and help me a little. I? I never join anything. I never agree with anybody. I don't want to educate anyone. Why should I? I leave these things to enthusiasts with faith, like you and West. I've no faith in my own ideas being any better than other people's, so I let them go their ways and I go mine. You won't always do that, Daphne told him, encouraging him, because she had faith in the spirit of his father's, which looked, despite himself, out of his eyes. When you're mine age... I shall then, said Nicholas, doubtless be suffering from what is, I believe, called by the best people, the more embittered temper and narrower faith of age. You need entertain no further hopes for me then. 3. During the Hawkston meeting, which was in the schoolroom on the afternoon of New Year's Eve, Alex sat on the low churchyard wall in faint sunshine, and looked over brown fields, and heard the larks. 
Hawkston is quiet and smells of straw and has a little grey church with a Norman door. Its road runs east and west and there are geese on the little green. On this last afternoon of the year it lay quietly asleep in the pale winter sunshine. Whenever the little east wind moved, wisps and handfuls of straw drifted lightly down the road. The larks carolled and twittered exuberantly over bare fields. From time to time a flock of chaffinches rose suddenly from the ricks and flew, a chattering flutter of wings, down the wind. Beyond the fields, cold, faintly-hued horizons brooded. Hawkston looked drowsily to the sunset and the dawn, to the past and future, to the old year and the new. "'The future is dubious,' Daphne had been saying in the schoolroom before Alex came out. "'Well, of course, futures always are, if you come to that.' in this dim dubious future let us see that we build up one positive thing which shall not fail us and by that of course she meant peace peace yes peace must be of course a positive thing here in hawkston was peace a bare austere quiet peace smelling of straw no one had had to make that peace it just was but the world's peace must be made, built up, stone on stone. No, stones were a poor figure. Peace must be alive, a vital, intricate, intense, difficult thing. No negation, not the absence of war. Not the quiet, naturally attained peace of Samuel Miller and Elizabeth, his wife, who slept beneath a grey headstone close to the churchyard wall, having drifted into peace after ninety and ninety-five years of living, and having for their engraven comment, they shall come to the grave in the fullness of years, like as a shock of corn cometh in in his season. Not that natural peace of the old and weary at rest, but a young peace, passionate, ardent, intelligent, romantic, like poetry, like art, like religion, like Christmas, with its peace on earth, goodwill towards men, like all the passionate, restless idealism that the so quiet-seeming little Norman church stood for. Alex believed that it stood for the same things that Daphne stood for. It too would say, build up a living peace. It too would say, let each man, woman and child cast out first from their own souls the forces that make against peace, stupidity, that first, then commercialism, rivalries, hatreds, grabbing, pride, ill-bred vaunting. It too was international, supernational. It too was out for a dream, a wild dream of unity. It too bade people go and fight to the death to realise the dream. Only it said, in my name they shall cast out devils and speak with new tongues. And the SPPP said, in the name of humanity. There was no doubt a difference in method. But at the moment Alex had more concern with the likenesses, with the common aim of the fighters, rather than with their different flags. The pale sun dipped lower in the pale west and was drowned in haze. It was cold. 
A little wind from the east whispered along the bare hedges. The year would soon be running down into silence like an old clock. 4. Daphne and the meeting came out of the school. Alex went to meet her. Daphne looked satisfied, as if things had gone well. The few women and many children coming out of the meeting looked good-hearted and still full of Christmas cheer. "'Such dears,' said Daphne, as they got into the car. Lest a damaging impression of Daphne be given, it may be mentioned that she always drove her own car herself, and only, in wartime, used it for meetings for the public good and for taking out wounded soldiers. "'So attentive and nice. I left pamphlets, and I'm coming again after the Christmas holiday to speak to the children in school. I told them about German and Austrian babies. The mothers loved it. It's fun doing this. People are such dears, directly they stop misunderstanding what one is after.' understanding clear thinking it nearly all turns on that everything does oh for more brains in this poor old muddle of a world educate the children's brains give them right understanding and then let evil do its worst against them they'll have a sure base to fight it from alex thought of and mentioned the intelligent bad who are surely numerous and prominent in history but daphne said cleverness isn't right understanding i mean something different from that i mean the trained faculty of looking at life and everything in it the right way up it's difficult of course alex thought it was probably impossible in an odd upside-down world the sun set the face of cambridgeshire the face of the new year the face of the incoherent world was dim and inscrutable a dream lacking interpretation. So many people can provide, according to their several lights, both the dream and the interpretation thereof, but with how little accuracy. 5. The Sandomirs in their house in Grange Road saw the new year in. They drank its health, as they did every year. Daphne, though she suddenly could think of nothing but Paul, who would not see the new or any other year, nevertheless drank unflinching to the causes she believed in. "'His to the new world we shall make in spite of everything,' she said. "'His to construction, sanity and clear thinking. "'His to goodwill and mutual understanding. "'His to the clearing away of the old messes "'and the making of the new ones. "'His to freedom. "'His to peace.' "'Heaven help you, mother.' "'Nicholas murmured drowsily into his glass. "'You don't know what you're saying. "'All your toasts are incompatible, and you don't see it. "'And what in the name of anything do you mean by freedom? "'The old messes I know, and the new ones I can guess at. "'But what is freedom? "'Something, anyhow, which we've never had yet.' "'Something we shall have,' said Daphne. "'You think so? But how improbable. "'After war, despotism.' and the strong hand. You don't suppose the firm hand is going to let go, having got us so nicely in its grasp? Rather not. War is the tyrant's opportunity. The government's beginning to learn what it can do. After all this defending of the realm and cancelling of scraps of paper such as Magna Carta and habeas corpus, 
and ordering the press and controlling industries and finance and food and drink and saying let there be darkness and there was darkness you don't suppose it's going to slip back into laissez-faire or open the door to mob rule the realm will go on being defended long after it's weathered this storm depend on it and quite right too lots of people will prefer it they'll be too tired to want to take things into their own hands they'll only want peace and safety and an ordered life they'll be too damaged and sick and have lost too much to be anything but apathetic peace possibly though improbably but freedom no anyhow it's what neither we nor anyone else have ever had so we shouldn't recognize it if we saw it there are too many pips in this stuff he grumbled much too many daphne finished hers and stood up as midnight struck with varying voices and views as to the time from various church clocks in cambridge city so she said that's the end of that year no doubt it is as well and now i'm going to bed i've a great deal to do tomorrow she went to bed she had a great deal to do on all the days of the coming year but the first thing she did in common with many others this year was to cry on the stairs because it was a year which paul would never see paul having been tipped out by the last year in its crazy career and left behind by the wayside six nicholas and alex lay languidly in fraternal silence in their chairs they never went to bed or did anything else with daphne's prompt decision at a quarter past twelve alex said i'm thinking of joining this funny society of mothers nicholas opened his small blue eyes at her you are i didn't know you joined things nor did i said alex but i'm beginning to believe i do i think i shall very probably join the church too before long nicholas opened his eyes much wider and sat up straight the church the church of england do you mean i suppose that would be my branch as i live in england just the christian church i mean do you think mother'll mind much nicholas cogitated over this probably he concluded she doesn't like it you know she thinks it stands for darkness that's so funny said alex when really it seems to me to stand for all the things she stands for and some more of course exactly nicholas agreed it's the more she takes exception to oh well alex sighed a little mother's very large-minded really she'll get used to it nicholas was looking at her curiously but not unsympathetically why these new and sudden energies he inquired presently if you don't mind my asking it's what i told you once before alex explained and the memory of that anguished evening attenuated her clear indifferent voice making it small and fainter as i can't be fighting in the war i've got to be fighting against it otherwise it's like a ghastly nightmare swallowing one up this society of mothers mayn't be doing much but it's trying to fight war it's working against it in the best ways it can think of so i shall join it christianity so far as i can understand it is working against war too must be obviously so i shall join the church that's all um nicholas looked dubious 
Not quite all, I fancy. There are things to believe, you know. You'll have to believe them, some of them anyhow. I suppose so. I dare say it's not so very difficult, is it? Very, I believe. I never tried personally, but so I am told by those who have. Oh, well, I don't care. Lots of quite stupid people seem to manage it, so I don't see why I shouldn't. I shall try, anyhow. I think it's worth it, said Alex with determination. Well, said Nicholas after a pause, I dare say you're right. Right to try things, I mean. I suppose it's more intelligent. For a moment the paradox in the faces of both brother and sister was resolved, an idealism wholly dominated cynicism. Well, said Nicholas again, his luck. He finished his punch. It had, as he had said, too many pips, so that he drank with care and rejections rather than hope. End of chapter 16